You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, this is The Comedian's Comedian, and we are pleased now to enjoy part two of my recent conversation with James Acaster, celebrating the forthcoming self-release via Dice.fm of his new special, Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999. James is back on the podcast for this, the second part of his third appearance, uh, and we're going to be talking about fame and how he experiences it, uh, why approval doesn't satisfy him, and why he doesn't usually admit to desiring a comic legacy, although I think I did make him admit to desiring a comic legacy. Um, We're also going to get stuck into some really excellent audience questions, so all of them coming soon, as I may have pointed out in previous episodes. We uh, at the Insiders Club, we've started doing, although there's no extra content from this conversation specifically, James was very kind enough to join us for an Insiders Only Q&A. And that is now available. If you're on the Insiders Club feed, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And for as little as £2 a month, but you can pay as much per month as you want and everyone gets access to the same stuff, right? Because the valuable stuff shouldn't be determined by who can afford it. So you pay whatever you think is appropriate per month, starting at £2 and uh, and then you get access to everything, all of the extra content from every episode that has it, which is like over a hundred hours worth of extra stuff now. Um, and uh, and also, yes, this this insiders only Zoom Q and A that we did with uh, with James recently, the audio from that is now available on the insiders feed, and I'm booking more of those as well. So if you fancy the idea of a sort of special, unique insiders thing where we get together and uh, and you get to put your questions to the guest in an alarmingly close up and personal uh, context uh, facilitated by me, then get yourself along to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Now, the second half of this conversation and no middle bit. I'll talk to you again at the end with James Acaster. I look back at some of the Bake Off stuff and you seem way less broken and tired and... Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because I, I was kind of a much more in the routine. I didn't see it when yes. it went out. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I just thought... I was just sort of interested. I don't know what the question is, but about like what what did it feel like to be in that position of you've already done all the revision for this now, mm-hmm. so I can do... It's almost like the apricot stuff, except everyone has a bag of them in their hands yeah. so you can spend 20 minutes on the minutiae of it. Well, I started doing the routine before it went out. <laughs> so okay. it was like I had... Again, like with this show, there would just be routines that would do well and then would uh, go rotten very quickly and I would suddenly have a 20 minute gap in the show because the turnover for this show was like nothing else was it because it was all constantly this bit works for a bit and now doesn't and it yeah. rotates out and, and it's like the, you know, the, the routines that worked the best stayed in and they're all like you know whatever 20 minutes each or something like that they're all big routines because of it because I'd keep on growing those ones um but yeah, the first half was originally, you know, the idea was 
the first half is about 1999 being the best year of my life. The second half is about 2017 being the worst year of my life. And like we were saying earlier, with like when you have the idea beforehand, and you go, okay, that's going to be what it is. And then you try it, and it's like, this isn't feeling right. It doesn't feel... Yeah, I, I, it was just didn't feel like that first half being positive really worked. And I just kind of had just done Bake Off, um, and it... it gone bad and then i did the bill murray uh so one of the great uh new material venues in in london uh love it built most of this show in the bill murray and i had a gig there and didn't know what to talk about and just started talking about i did bake-off recently and just told them about bake-off and originally i because it hadn't gone out i only told them about what happened that you kind of see in the show like mm. what happened in the tent I didn't tell them about what happened when I went back to my hotel mm-hmm. I tell them like you know I just told them how badly it went and uh, and it was really fun but I had that thing of like going are oh, you just one of those comics who's just you're telling them about a TV show that you did and that becomes your material is that it's all about TV and celebrities you meet and you become that guy so maybe don't do this routine and like it's fun now because it's just happened to you and you get to tell them about it but don't put this in the show because like of this and um but then i did uh a christmas show i used to like regularly do christmas shows in northampton uh in a very small room and i'd do them every year and again didn't really know what to talk about at one of them and started talking about the bake-off thing again because i was like well that's you know it's not failed yet so i'll tell them that story again and it didn't go well and it was kind of like I got to the end of where I'd normally end or like what happened in the tent and they just hadn't really laughed much. But I'd gone on stage that night with a rule and it's because of when I saw Chris Kent, the comedian Chris Kent, a few years ago at Edinburgh, I remember seeing his show twice that year because I really loved it. And the second time I saw it, there were things that he got massive laughs on the first time that he didn't get massive laughs on the second time. And he instead of like just moving on to the next bit of material or saying to them well, that normally gets more he just carried on talking until he found the laugh and I was like oh okay so sometimes if I'm in a good frame of mind I remember to do that and and a uh, work in progress show and yeah I just kind of got to the end of the Bake Off story they didn't they hadn't gone for it and so I just thought okay we'll just carry on talking and I was just carrying on telling them what had happened that day and I was like well then I went back to my hotel room and you know and, and about all the kind of like Obviously, for people, I, I don't really want to spoil that. No, bit, no, no, sure. The phone but call. like, um, but like, you know, um, <laughs> equally, just telling people what happened when I went back to my hotel room it makes me sound a lot more sordid than. Uh, <laughs> but, like, but yeah, and then you find, oh, okay, that's enough. That's a reason for me to keep it in the show. That's something I'd like to talk about. That ties in with everything else, and also it's an easier way into let's talk about mental health because I've gone into it via, hey, you all thought because by then. Actually, no, but it hadn't gone out then. Still hadn't gone out then. Mm. But when I, I, I did a, a gig uh, the night of it going out, and uh, and after that, every time I told it, everyone knew, you know, uh, what I was talking about. And then it was an easy way into the routine because they were all like, oh, yeah, we know this stuff and we know about the meme and all this kind of thing. And then you would drop that mental health kind of story in, in, in the middle of it. And you've kind of like, you know, it's like that kind of um, putting a, pill in sugar or whatever it is but like yeah you kind of got like you snuck it into their food somehow <laughs> like well now we're talking about this and yeah. now that's the theme of the show and i've kind of I've not made you complicit in it but like i've gone like you've all laughed at me having an awful time on this show but there was also this part to it and i'm not gonna make you feel responsible for that 
but you're now invested in a way because you were invested in the Bake Off when you saw it and you were invested in the story when I started it because you like Bake Off but this is also a part a side to that and so now we can explore that a bit more over uh, you know, whatever an hour and a half that was left of the show and then it was like okay now I'll keep it in if I didn't have that bit in there I don't think no matter how well the rest of the routine had gone I don't think I would have kept it in the show because I would have been afraid of this yeah. is just a comic going I I know celebrities and I did a TV show. Well, yeah. well I I understand the the that impulse, that I understand that concern, but I don't think it would have been because you it is it is about failure you know it's that classic thing that i often think i wish they'd i wish they'd taught me this at school if you want people to like you tell a story in which you lose do you know what I mean as <laughs> yeah, opposed to yeah, yeah. telling a story about an interesting thing that happened you know yeah. like you you know you you really you come off worst in that story and in all of I mean, arguably in all of your stories, but that's part of why, you know, it's the loser wins. That's part of what's so triumphant about that whole show. Because, you know, we're invested in you, we're invested in our own moments of, you know, being a loser and wishing we could either articulate in a funny way what it meant to us or... As is, as in with the therapy stuff, the the finale of that bit is, you know, a a victory. Yeah. When I got that Bake Off routine, that was the one it was like, the show felt... It wasn't finished. There was still more stuff to add, but um, it felt like the set list was finished. It was that really satisfying... I think a lot of comments can relate to it. You you kind of get go, ah, that's the... These, yeah. these are all the bits. Yeah. I know they still got to improve. I've still got to, you know, write better lines and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, I was, I remember being a bit kind of like frustrated for a while that the first half was quite bitty. Yeah. There's loads of small bits. Like, I think it still ends with, it ends with like 10 minutes of like 1999 being the best year of my life. And they're quite short routines. Yeah. And originally the first half was all kind of that. And it just felt like this is very bitty and I'm not, uh, I can't relax. I'm constantly trying to win them over. Yeah. And then the second half was like three stories. And I just felt like in the second half, a completely different comedian. And like, and I wanted the first half so much to be that. So then when you could get like a 20 minute story about Bake Off and that's in that. And, and, and then the first half just becomes that the, you know, the, the opening is being an edgy comedian and all that. And, yeah. and, and Brexit. So you got that to the ending. Then, then you can talk about Bake Off. Then you talk about Ninety Nine. It's like great. That's three parts in my head that's yeah. Com- yeah, compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you know, once you're into each bit, you're into it, and you don't have to. You're not getting short little laughs all the yeah. time. I think I admire one liner comics so much. It must be exhausting. I just try and like, right? I've got, I got you, and now I might lose you immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, I, I would, I would crumble. Given your your kind of work ethic and how much you pour over the details of the show. Is that show finished to your satisfaction? Or is there anything in that video that's going to go out on the 17th where you're thinking, I just couldn't quite get that bit to work sure. as I wanted it to? Uh, no, luckily. It's, 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 it's how I want it. And it's how I want it because um, you kind of don't stop, especially with, I think it comes across more in this one than it does in the Netflix ones. But... Um, don't stop like trying to be a bit looser and uh, giving yourself the opportunity to ad lib. There are, are, are bits in the recording that I never said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I can tell that. And, and, like and I was that, like, yeah. I will be pissed off if I discover that bit scripted. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, there are bits that are like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to have fun with it still because, because yeah. um, otherwise you are just. I think the moment where I'm not satisfied with the show is when 
you've got it all written. That's the show that works. And then you do the version that works word for word and they don't go for it as much as they have gone for it in the past. And then you're like, oh, now it feels like a that that's not the show I wanted or or whatever that is. Whereas if I am kind of looking for ways to have a bit more fun with it in the yeah. delivery or in the wording or whatever it is, then it always feels like that's the version of the show I want. Well, you're enjoying it so much as well. There's so many, there's a bit as well. I, I, I don't even know what the term for this is in kind of comedy yeah. terminology, but there's a bit where you say bebe at the end of something. Like you're doing, kind of, <laughs> you're, you're affecting one of those, that you've got a particular flavour you do sometimes of like, of the cool guy kind of character. <laughs> and you say something, 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 bebe like that. And I was like, he's just loving playing this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was really fun. Um, yeah. How do you find being as famous as you now are? Do you hide? Do, uh, you, do you kind of dress discreetly? Do you mind it? I remember when, when you started the Bristol show, someone shouted Papa Dom's or bread at the beginning and you had to cope with it. And I remember I chatted to Ed Gamble a couple of weeks later and said, uh, oh, does that do your head? And he was like, you know me, absolutely love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, going to sure. be like two very different kind <laughs> yeah. of approaches to yeah. that. He's a good guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, it's, I mean, like I was saying about the Taskmaster thing about wanting to wear colourful clothes, like I genuinely wanted to, and it's probably come at the worst point in my life to be doing that, because you kind of go out, you know, I've got, you know, some bright clothing now, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> people don't spot you. Um, so, but, you. So you would prefer that people didn't spot you? Well, actually, no, I don't mind, because as long as they're nice, like if someone comes up to you and just says, uh, you know, I liked that thing that you did, um, it's great, and I like having that interaction with them. And um, and again, it's that thing of like, if what they enjoyed was the thing you put out, the comedy, yeah. whatever it is, then um, they do just come up to you and go, oh, hey, I just want to say uh, I'm a big fan of that. I really like that show uh, and whatever. And then um, they tend not to... It's the ones who apologise for coming up to you are the nice ones. They go, oh, sorry, you're probably sick of people doing this. But um, And then it's like, no, you're being really nice. But it's yeah. the ones who come up to you... But, you know, there are also a lot of people who are very rude and, and are very uh, over-familiar yeah, and yeah. feel entitled to you. And that's not nice. I'd rather never have that. You know, if, if I had to, you know... I really like the nice interactions, but if in order to get rid of the unpleasant ones, I had to get rid of those as well, then I'll have to do it because, like, you know, you don't want... You know, I've had it before. On the last tour was especially, like, weird of, like, you know, I had it at the Old Vic, actually. I was walking in. I had my arm full of, like, a bunch of, like, stuff for the show. Mm. I was taking it from the car to the stage door and was trying to get to the stage door. And a guy walked past shouting my name, and I was like, hello. And then he said, give me a photo. And I was like, oh, I'm just carrying this in a minute. He went, just it's five seconds. Just like, stop for a photo with me. I was like, I've got to go in here. And he went, oh, fuck you, mate. Like that, and walked away. Fucking hell. And, and, and you're like, oh, that's a nice start to the evening. Is that, that guy happened. And you get that something. You know, so I, I, I remember being for I was at a meal with my family who I don't get to see as much as I would like to. And so it's my mum's birthday meal in a pub. And a guy came up to me. He was leaving with his family. And he walked over and went, um... James, can you come and have a photo with my daughter? And if he if he had just said that, I might have done it. But he, before I could even reply, followed it up with, "It's only it's only a minute of your life, mate." Like that before I could before I'd said anything. <laughs> and so then I said, 
oh no, I, it's my it's my mum's birthday meal, and I don't get to see my family very often. And then he kind of, to be fair, he completely backed down and was like, oh yeah, of course. Like you could see in his face right. was like. Why the fuck did I say that to him? <laughs> like, but like, you know, but it's like, you know, we all say things, you know, I, I regret stuff I say on stage sure, uh, sometimes. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I like, so, you know, okay, yeah, you know, that's, that's what's happened. So like, um, yeah, I, 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 I would say that I don't, I, the, the the famous part of it, I feel weird saying about being famous because I still maybe maybe it is I don't feel like I'm famous or you, I think you're way more famous than you realise in denial or maybe I'm doing the excited nervous denial about it <laughs> telling yeah. myself I'm not so I can cope with it but like and, and I also wonder like I feel you're measuring your words a bit carefully talking about yeah. it as well because you know that you know, a lot of some of them quite hardcore fans will pour over this as they do with anything that you put out. Yeah, mean? So, I would rather not. Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that I'd rather wasn't a part of my life is people overanalyzing stuff I've said or yes. uh, or don't or or, or or thinking that um, they are involved in my life or that I'm yeah. involved in theirs in a way that's beyond just being a comic that they like and, and uh, I don't really know. Well, what I've definitely come to accept is I can't control what they do. Yeah, so. I can control what I do. So part of not being on social media is like, well, there's, there's a boundary. Mm-hmm. And they very quickly tried to cross that boundary when I came off of social media, contacting my agent, saying that I was mentally ill, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and that's how I found out about that because like, you know, I had phone calls from my agents going, look, I'm sure this is nothing, but I'm just checking because a lot of people are worried about you and have been emailing us. And uh, it's, you know, it's fine. They're doing their job, my agent. But, like, um, but I was like, oh, okay, this is like, and, and off menu were getting loads of DMs. Check on him; he's not okay. Ed was getting it. Nish was getting it. Loads of my friends. You, I think you were getting it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, and it was like I totally forgot about that. I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like, look, I'm not. You know, I I can't draw conclusions about those people. Some of those people would have been genuinely concerned when they didn't need to be because they don't. Again, they don't know me. They're not. You know, they've got to realize that I have people around me that if I'm not doing okay. I have ways of dealing with it with the people around me. It's not their responsibility as someone who doesn't know me. But also, you can't draw conclusions from how I'm doing based on a gig that went badly and the fact I cancelled a gig or came off of social media. Like, don't... And if you're quite keen to join those dots as he's not okay, maybe ask yourself why you are keen for that to be the truth and to get that out there and to spread it around and to tell people who know me that that's the case. You know, the only people who really contacted me being concerned were comedians who didn't know me very well, who Mm -hmm. also comedians, some of them, not all of them, but some of them who, you know, hadn't been that nice to me in the past and are now like, are you not all right? And you go, oh, okay, someone's enjoying this. So when it's social media, it's like, you know, it's fun gossip and it's funny he's not all right and let's let's get this going some people might be genuinely concerned but again they need to realize that they don't need to be that's not a, that doesn't have to be a part of their life in that in that sense and that there's not and maybe take a step back and realize there's not enough evidence to suggest that i actually am legitimately not okay so don't get caught up in that and definitely like that kind of part of things um made me so glad that i'd come off of social media because yeah. it was like okay like this is why guys like you and, you can't be like this and great timing as well because here we are in 2020 um and one of the things that i've 
I think one of the things that contributed towards me having not a breakdown at all, but being able to see a breakdown in the distance around about June, July, I kind of went, oh, God, I'm constantly worried and anxious and I feel a bit fluttery. And I'm like, oh, I keep having little mini panic attacks, all that kind of stuff, which I've experienced in little bits here. And then I was like, this is quite full on. For me, that was really exacerbated by being on social media, by oh. by seeing people collectively panic, by feeling implicated in the collective sort of stampede mm-hmm. of people on social media in a way where, of course, we have a, a, a collective responsibility to be aware of what's going on in the world that mm-hmm. doesn't extend to... You know, scrolling through a Twitter feed with you know people who've put kind of awful videos of you know what I mean, like yeah. atrocities and people being horrific to each other. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it, mm. I, I think I ended up feeling feeling compelled to keep paying attention to the news feed in a way that was not helping anyone. Yeah, you know, it wasn't helping me or my family. It wasn't helping the people who were you know struggling and having videos kind of pushed everywhere. Mm-hmm. So. With regard to 2020, you were planning a break anyway. One of the biggest issues I've got is the the vast panorama of experiences mm-hmm. that some comics aren't comics anymore at the moment. Some mm-hmm. people are driving a van as of day one. Some people have really flourished. Mm-hmm. Some people have, you know, and that's just just within comedy. I, I suppose you've got you had a show in the can. Mm-hmm. You had a thing to be kind of prepping over the time. The thing really- is like. Being to begin with, because like uh, I was coming off of you know over ten years of constant gigging, a year of really solid, intense touring, and then suddenly not having to do any of that, and being able to relax at home in a really healthy, loving relationship. That's a break you wouldn't have necessarily given yourself or found it hard to yeah, give yourself. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And uh, and I was like... And there was a part of me thinking, I, I actually prefer this. And I... I, I and you realise how much of your anxiety or stress comes out of being around large groups of people, not just standing in front of them on stage, but sometimes, you know, just having to go to loads of, like, physical meetings or something like that, and maybe that's I don't always feel very relaxed in those situations and it's quite nice not to be in them and all that and so it's very inward focused for the first part of lockdown especially and, so, and, and kind of feeling like we're all going through this thing together and it's a part of history but not really thinking um, thinking a bit obviously at the start that like we're not all going to have the same experience but not to the levels of you know uh that I kind of maybe think of it now that I realise it later on, you know, like I think I thought at the beginning more in terms of individual people and their lives being different. And like maybe if you were addicted to drugs or if you were in an abusive relationship, like what this would mean this year and, and, and yeah. what that was going to be like. Um, but I wasn't thinking about, you know, uh, people in terms of like groups of like, you know, in terms of class or race and anything like that and how different this was going to be for everybody uh, and how it would just, this situation would further highlight how unfair the world is and how uh, how awful the, the kind of like the, the uh, systematic, there's all the things that we have in society in place to keep certain people down and something like this is, flares that up even more 
So, you know, I, I probably then had a thing that a lot of people felt where you kind of go like, oh, I'm a real piece of shit for like thinking this is better for a while. And I, I'm just thinking about myself. And uh, and then you just need to start then getting involved with things and then going, right, well, in that case, I've got to you know, look into how I can get involved with this and what I can do that's positive and, um, and not stop doing it just because people stop talking about it because mm. that's why these problems still exist right now. It's because every now and again we talk about them and then it goes away. Yeah, and then it has to come, and then someone else has to bring it up again. And you know, I remember when Bob Geldof did Live Eight, and uh, and uh, you know, however old I was at the time, and thinking, oh yeah, like he must be a bit pissed off that he's <laughs> doing this again, <laughs> you know, and that he's having, to, and then and, and looking at the audience and how much they all care about it right now. But he he must, yeah. You know, Bob Geldof's so cynical, and people have a go at him for it, but it's because he knows like you're going to forget tomorrow, you know, and um, it's trying to do stuff that keeps you engaged with it all um yeah and um that's it really i guess you you start off feeling very a lot of i guess if you start thinking about isolation you start feeling about thinking about how we're all connected as well and i think that's a lot of what's come out of this year there's a lot of reflections on being on my own or being just with me and my girlfriend and like not seeing many people but then also uh, the world at large and how we're all connected and 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 how you should be helping other people and and the the side you know the fights that you should be getting behind and the and stuff like that so yeah kind of it's been like opposite ends of the spectrum in a way thinking about what's good for you as an individual and then also uh, on a wider scale you know the world and uh, and people who aren't as fortunate as you I guess. If the if the vaccines work and the pandemic ends tomorrow and it's all all over by Christmas or whenever, yeah. what what are the next things? In, coming back to kind of the, the the world as it used to be, let's assume for the sake of the question that it's it go things go back to normal, the circuit comes back, blah blah blah. You know, what do you want to do next? What like do you want to direct or something? I yeah. feel like you should be, yeah. you know, you should, is, this is like a time to kind of Dimitri Martin it and start start directing stuff or making films or what you know what I mean? Like yeah, what? Yeah. Like I don't know why I think that. Just because I suppose there must be a part of you thinking, not necessarily how do I top this release of the you know of Cold Lasagna, but um, that's the first time I've shortened it to Cold Lasagna, which is quite a fun thing. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but what happens next if you are going to have a bit of a break from stand-up? Do you have plans for where your creativity might go? What you might need to kind of keep you going? Or, or I mean, I, I often think I, I often guiltily think, God, I just want to be successful enough to stop. And I just want to pad around my house in my tracky yeah. bottoms, rearing my children, and then getting told to piss off out of the room by them. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, um, I. I really love doing creative things and, and making stuff. And that's just, you know, what I liked doing as a kid to entertain myself around the house and what I still like doing now. So, like, I, I think I'll always want to do stuff like that. Um, this year I've been, like, working on a number of different things that don't have a home yet, don't necess- aren't necessarily even going to see the light of day, but are 
different and aren't stand up and like you know writing and uh even music stuff and stuff like that and i just kind of like doing things that are just i think stand up what i learned most of stand up was just to follow whatever your impulse is and go like okay this is you know well what what i want to do with this show and i don't understand it yet but i'm just going to follow it and eventually it'll become a show that i like and yeah the minute i was just you know i'm just like i the minute i want to write this and i want to you know work on this thing and uh we'll see what if they go anywhere and if they do go anywhere maybe it'll be like you know oh he, this comedian just released an album and it's absolutely awful and ha 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 but like uh but you go this is what i want to do at the minute this is what whatever that thing is in my, that makes me feel good from being creative and that i enjoy because it isn't the approval you know i know that that's not the bit that makes me feel satisfied it's my own kind of like I've made something that I like or I'm discovering something. You know, I think there's something here that will be really exciting and I want to, you know, work on it until I realise that thing and uh, bring it into existence. I can put it out there and then I've done it and it's there and then people who like the same stuff as me can find it and they will like it. But, like, that's all I need. And, like, I think just that. So at the minute it's like I don't... I don't have any ideas for stand-up. I... um I don't really there's not a show I'd want to do there's not a show that you know it's not necessarily a case of topping the last one it's more that I just don't know what I would do if someone said I had to do a gig I, I, you know maybe like every other comic I'd just talk about how crazy the situation we're currently in is mm. uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that either I actually really want to see comedians talk about that at the minute but I don't really have any ideas whereas I have ideas for made up stories I can write as a film or a, a sitcom and I have ideas for songs that yeah and I want to point out that I'm not singing <laughs> and playing the drums on them and collaborating with other people and having fun but like uh, but you know I've got ideas for that and my mind when I you know whether I'm you know not talking to someone or whatever my brain is thinking like right that song you can do that with that now and, and like I used to think about shows and you know I, I I don't know how it will turn out, but like I know that that's what I enjoy doing with my brain. So yeah, I just keep doing that. Do you feel any kind of responsibility to keep being a stand-up mm. compared to just pleasing yourself, doing whatever you want to do? I feel a responsibility with my agents or anyone like that, or with the audience or anything. I do sometimes think like. Um, a lot of the things that excite me like that I like watching or listening to or whatever if it's a film or a book or you know I say a book I fucking don't ever read uh, <laughs> you know a stand up comedy show all those kind of things when someone has just really taken the time to get really good at something and you know I'm watching like a Richard Pryor show and going like oh man he really put the hours in and he knows exactly what he's doing and and so you kind of sometimes think like, and there's a part of me that definitely wants that, wants to get to the point where I can be like, uh, you know, I don't know if, if I want to say like, you know, I don't want to say like one of the greats or whatever, because it, it's not about you, but you want to do the shows that are, that have that quality of like, that was, that's, I can 
that's a legacy or that's to stand the test of time. Because I like, I'm drawn to, with, with music, I'm drawn to classic albums that are like, you know, I, I like a lot of obscure stuff, but then I feel like that's just immaculate, it's so perfect, it's, it's creative and uh, imaginative, but it's also, you can really see the craftsmanship in it and all that stuff. And, you know, I remember watching, a couple of years ago, I watched live in concert the Richard Pryor show with my flatmate who hadn't seen it. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, watch this, it's like one of the best recorded shows ever. And I was watching it and I was thinking like, this is enough, being a comic's enough. Filming something like this is enough. Like, it doesn't matter what else Richard Pryor ever did in his career. That show is so perfect apart from the final bit about Chinese people. <laughs> but, like, everything else in that show is really funny. And um, I'm kind of thinking, like, my best chance at doing something like that is to carry on doing this thing that I've committed to learning how to do properly and that I know how to do. I don't... You know, music, I'm doing something that I'm really enjoying. And right now in my head... It is that good and that exciting because that's how much I love it. But I have to like also think to myself, well, there is also the chance that because you haven't <laughs> been a committed musician for ages, it won't be on the same level as what you're doing with comedy. And maybe it would be a shame if you just stopped doing stand-up and you did stuff that, you know, screenwriting, you haven't got a, a load of experience in. You know, uh Maybe, yeah, that would be a shame. I really am proud of the podcast that I do with Ed, and I really love it. Um, and, but I, but I, but you kind of go, is that the same though? As like, you know, will that, do people, will people remember podcasts or go back to podcasts and revisit them as much as they would a stand up show and a standalone thing like that? So I think because that's like a big part of my obsession with any kind of creative thing is just standalone projects that, and bigger than the person who made them and that are just like that on its own is a touchstone and uh, and you go I'd like to one day do something like that I don't know if I will ever do anything like that or will be able to achieve it but my best chance of getting that is probably to carry on doing this but then you kind of go but then it's my best chance to be happy in my normal life <laughs> not doing that so that's where you kind of get that thing of knowing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a great answer. The absolute biggest moment of deja vu during that, like literally that exact moment of me oh. talking to you in this room, getting to the end of the thing and not knowing where else to put it, and then you going, "That's great," and then doing the like, to, <laughs> to, 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 to Nathan, and I was like, "What the fuck is going?" On? Also, not just deja vu. It was deja vu on top of deja vu. So I was having a, a moment of me being in that situation, thinking it was deja vu as it was happening as well. Wow! And, it, and, and reliving that as the most deja vu moment I've ever had. It was on top of on top of it. That's I mean, scary. I can't not point out you're the only person who's ever done the podcast three times. Yes, and that's, that's what probably, happens. I probably, I'll probably said that exact thing <laughs> probably, every time. Yeah, I probably said it every time, and people will check say, the archives. <laughs> <laughs> you you've, you realise you've done this before, and I can't remember yeah. what I say next. Yeah, you're honing it each time and getting better with it. <laughs> that I, that's such a fascinating answer, though, because th that idea of legacy to me is 
like whenever I try to get near it, I don't know whether I'm talking myself out of it, whether I actually mean this or whether I'm using this sentiment to protect myself. But I always think, come on, even statues crumble. What's yeah. legacy mean? We all sure. die, you know, 100 years, 500 years from now. No one's going to know what the prior yeah. album was, you know. I mean, they'll remember this podcast, yeah. of course, because it's a work yes. of uh, Timeless Genius. But, you know, like I, I think to my, but I don't know whether I'm protecting myself by thinking that. Yeah. You don't know, do you? But that, that conversation of, is it worth sacrificing my happiness to become legendary or yeah. to attempt to become legendary, one of the greats? Is that, were the greats happy? Yeah. And also, like, ultimately, it will be forgotten. We all will everything will be forgotten. <laughs> so, like, we know that. Um, I guess it's wanting to do something that makes other people feel the way I feel about live in concert. Or, you know, and, uh, you know, all those albums I like. And, all, you know, if I can make something that makes... Because, like, to me, all the stuff that I love and that I view on that kind of, like, that level is worth it because I feel like it. It's not worth it because everyone thinks that thing's amazing or whatever is because the way it's making me feel is so intangible and magical that it was worth that person doing that and that and i think that's incredible and so you are kind of just thinking if i can make something that is like that so it doesn't have to be that like everyone then goes one of the greats and does all that but if it just gets that same emotion out of people and that same whatever excitement it is that I get from really connecting with creative projects and I can do something that has that and that you know has longevity and doesn't just do that for a year or whatever but like you know has has that for uh, enough time that there's just something about it then yeah but like you you often just don't admit that as a comic because we're not we're meant to be the idiots who don't care about that stuff and don't talk all you know i mean obviously one of the main problems you had when you started doing this podcast was trying to get people to be pretentious because we didn't want to be because we were like oh, if we speak like that everyone's gonna think i'm a knob yeah. and all that whereas musicians or whatever might be a bit more keen to well they actually the musicians i interviewed are just very nice but like maybe they're actors actors they're the worst aren't they they're, 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 <laughs> they're probably more more keen to be like oh yeah well, i was doing this well and then everyone because guys i'll like, oh, shut up and so like i always like really feel resistant to being like talking about this kind of stuff when you think about any sort of legacy or creating something that is bigger than yourself and, and all that because it's then it implies that you think you're great and can do that kind of stuff and uh and that's a whole other discussion about comics and our thing about not wanting to think that we're too good and, and not wanting people to think that we think we're great and therefore not wanting to be positive about ourselves and to have you know if you do tell the story about being on tv it has to be you did awfully on bake off and you're the loser uh because like you feel like otherwise we're not allowed to be the people who are like, do you know what? I think I'm fucking great, actually. And I, I'm whatever. And that's, there, you do need a healthy amount of that in your life. And I think it is healthy or at least makes it more fun to kind of believe that you could achieve your ultimate goal in comedy, whatever that goal is. Um, mine just happens to be maybe a bit... <laughs> My, my, I don't even care if I don't achieve it. It's just, it, it chasing it is the fun bit. I think. Chasing so, is the fun yeah. bit. Because the other thing is, it isn't measurable. You already yeah. have people out there, you know, thousands of people out there for whom you have made that connection. 
there are people walking around with tattoos of your jokes on their bodies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Not because they're mental, but because it's really meaningful to them and they want to remember how they felt when they heard that and they want to remember how it made them feel, you know. Like, yeah, that's nice. So, so it, it's, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess it is that thing of like, what's funny about that thing is that you were never, I always think this as well, it's that those people whose albums I love, like when I interviewed all those yeah, musicians yeah. for this book that I did, they will never understand how much I love them their album and how much I'm like you know I always say to them dude seriously just you don't need to do anything else for the rest of your life <laughs> this is so good because they'll be like are you kidding me I'm, living, I'm struggling to pay my rent but like you know uh, so you will never really be able to experience however people feel about your stuff because it, it doesn't ever feel like that's real because you, you know, you're too close to it all and it's you and you don't see yourself you see yourself as the mess of a human that you are yeah. and then you can look at other people and just they're more caricatures you can simplify Richard Pryor or whatever even though he's been very he was very clear about how much of a mess he yeah, was yeah. <laughs> yeah. bad example so I, we have to pay lip service to the fact that I in a uh, not in a panic but I'm always anxious about interviews um, it's one of the most ridiculous and most unnecessary things in my life which is that uh <laughs> an interview with a friend for the third time yeah. still even that makes me feel as nervous as I'm about to interview Bill Burr like it's yeah. fucking ridiculous so I'm excited to in that <laughs> so with that uh, spirit in mind given that he said he'd be taking a break from stand up this year anyway did he manage to achieve everything he wanted to or did what he wanted to focus on get stopped to Jack Thomason oh yeah uh, good question um, yeah what was I wanting yeah I was trying to think no I have been able to broadly do the things that I wanted to do in terms of career stuff so come in with a podcast try to write some scripted stuff working on this music thing for fun um, they were kind of the big things I wanted to do at the start of the year um, and just I guess just like I haven't been able to do all the things I want to do personally so like you know I wanted to actually have a hot you know go abroad and I wouldn't be working you know like, like yeah, actually yeah, yeah. have a holiday and go somewhere I hadn't been before and have a proper holiday and um, you know, see more of my family uh, and back in Kettering and, and, and do that kind of stuff. Um, so those things you know, are the things that you kind of, when I look at the things that I wanted to do this year, uh, yeah. But professionally, uh, yeah, I kind of, nothing's moved forwards because like, it's all like, you know, everything's been put on hold. It's why it's taken this long to release this special. Yeah. You know, getting stuff along the line has actually been quite hard but I've been able to you know sit down and work on projects and and maybe it's been quite good that things haven't been able to be, to move on because you kind of go well there's no point handing this script in now because they can't do anything with it so I may as well do another draft of it and yeah. do that and you know <laughs> maybe even watch Michaela Cole do an interview about <laughs> about how she wrote her, even though it's nothing like mine, and go. She, she did 138 drafts. Right, okay. And then kind of go back to mine. But um, yeah, I've been lucky that everything I had planned work-wise was um, on my laptop, so I've been able to sit down and do it. Sheila Lewis asks, I believe that he named the show based on what he planned to talk about and the show evolved to be about what was going on in his life as he kept talking about it on stage anyway. This is great, we've covered this. I wonder if he found the talking about it on stage more useful than the mixed experiences with his therapist. Uh, no. Um, I definitely find my, my current therapist, who's very good, I find that more useful than any stand-up gig I've ever done. Um, 
and even my therapist that I had that I speak about in the show um, where it ended pretty badly um, before it ended badly I found that very useful and good and probably couldn't have done the show and spoke about the things I spoke about if I hadn't gone to therapy sessions with her it's the very weird thing that like you know she kind of suddenly became this baddie in my life uh for want of a better word but like this kind of like antagonist where like she had been such a help until that point and then suddenly uh that changed um but no i would say uh i don't personally believe in comedy as therapy i think that uh I believe therapy is therapy, and sometimes therapy is comedy. Uh, but like, uh, but like, uh, yeah, I, I I found sitting down and talking to someone who is not judging you way better than talking to a room full of people who are there to judge you. And so you just have to kind of. The show is not me working out my problems. It's uh, me um, not knowing what else to talk about when I was doing it doing the show. Um, writing the show and then when I did start to talk about those things then I had to decide okay what's your goal here what are you doing are you going to do this in order to replace you know therapy with this because you shouldn't do that so what are you trying to do are you trying to do it so that people in the audience relate to it and can see stuff in themselves and if you are trying to do that if that is a part of it because it's an unavoidable part of it as well then you've got to be responsible with that. So how are you wording everything? What kind of messaging are you putting in there? Um, and just thinking about it like that, like I'm talking about, because originally it wasn't I'm talking about my mental health or I'm talking about my issues. It was I'm talking about some things that have happened to me. Yeah. Here's a bunch of stories that I think were pretty crazy um, and they're all I think about right now, so therefore I'm talking about them on stage. Um, and I wasn't doing a mental health show. That wasn't the goal. And then the more I did it, the more I was getting people saying afterwards, you know, about their own mental health or, you know, it's good to hear someone talk about mental health or whatever. And I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that's what the show is kind of about. And I guess that is in there. So take some responsibility. How do you speak about that? First and foremost, remember that you were originally telling stories. So stick to that. You're telling stories. Tell these stories and be honest about how you felt in the stories because if you're just honest about how you were feeling with yourself and with the audience, there'll be stuff they can relate to. There can be stuff that they can see. You don't have to spell everything out to them. They'll be able to see behavior that is like, you know, or maybe, yeah, maybe that wasn't helpful for it. Maybe that was. You don't have to spell those out as much, but just tell an honest story and, and do it like that. And so it was more not, you know, it, it wasn't like okay, my therapy and what's in it for me. It was more like the responsibility to them and what are you giving them and why are you, is this you know if you're just unburdening your own stuff on them this is it really is just for you and you may you know you may as well not be charging them you know you should be paying them this is a show for them make it funny uh and make the you know anything that could be relatable in it make it very clear make it make sure it resonates and be, be honest like that so yeah there's definitely anyone it was thinking about going into stand-up instead of therapy, please. <laughs> uh, Comedy uh, can be therapeutic, but it's not therapeutic. as therapeutic as therapy. No, it can be, yeah, uh, uh, it can be as therapeutic as dancing or whatever. 
Did doing a more personal show make you miss being an undercover cop, Matt Box? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it did. Sometimes I was, you know, like I say earlier, like I was thinking like, oh, you've kind of, by doing this show, you're clo- you might be closing the door on that kind of comedy you did and you were, you know, remember that you were actually quite proud of doing that kind of comedy. When, when I started doing the undercover cop show, which was the first one where I had a ruse, I was really excited about it. it was really like, oh, you know, it's a stand-up show, but I'm kind of like playing a character at the same time. But it's mm. not. But I'm not playing a character. And like, I was excited about it. And, I, and the more that that world built, the more I was excited about it. And um, yeah, when I started doing this, there were there were times when I was like, uh, maybe it's a shame that you've stopped doing this kind of shows now because you could have built that bigger and bigger, and that would have been really fun. And there was a part of it that was. I mean, sometimes it was like. I feel like I, you know, especially in work in progresses where I hadn't got the show, got the routines worded really well. I'd come away from some of those going, I shared too much with that audience mm. and I don't, I didn't want to tell them all that stuff. And mm. yeah, you think like, Oh, I wish I was just saying my name was Pat Springleaf and pulling a magnifying glass out my pocket. And, you know, and then at the end going like a little personal thing, but really the personal thing is my girlfriend broke up with me and I had a bit of an identity crisis or, you know, I used to believe in, in Christianity and now I don't. And, you know, it's, it's not, you know, I always saw it as the statement at the end of the show was what most comics would put at the start of their Edinburgh show. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't a big in-depth, here's everything about me. It was just like, oh, and here's what the show was kind of about if you go back over it. So, yeah, there were times with this one where I was like, Maybe I think I actually said to Henry Whittacombe at one point he was booking Mac for this year, and one of the things I was gonna do it was gonna be my only gig this year was to go to Mac as Pat Springleaf and just do a Pat Springleaf hour and improvise it, but just go with, with my and do it in one of the really small rooms, like the small rooms in the school, and just have a, my green jacket on and go on and just talk about, but improvise, but as Pat Springleaf as an experiment. So I did miss it, and maybe, maybe I mean, it's basically probably you'll always go back to stuff like that. Phil Steele says, when Greg retires from Taskmaster, would James be interested in taking his place? I imagine he'd make a good King Joffrey type Taskmaster. <laughs> yeah, that's very very accurate. Um, uh, oh, I couldn't do Taskmaster. It would be I mean, as much, as fun as it would be. Uh, I, I don't know. I couldn't do it. I mean, I love it too much as a show. As yeah, a fan, yeah, I love yeah. watching it. I love being on it. I would love to go back on and do something on it again. I'd love to return and do something. But Greg and Alex, I wouldn't want to take either of their spots. Are there any tools, this is Diana Di Costanzo, are there any tools you've found to handle creative blocks or self-doubt when faced with deadlines or professional commitments? Great question, Diana. Yeah, I think... <sighs> Well, with with stand up, it's always been just book another gig and do another gig. So that's part of the thing as well with stand up. Of like, you know, I will have a lot of doubts and stuff. But if you put yourself in that situation where you're going on stage in front of people and you have to do something that night, and you have this thing in you that needs to make them laugh, you will discover those things, and you're constantly finding new ways, new ideas for the show. And so, therefore, you feel like you're because you know, I, I I hate sitting down at home and writing. That you know, I would definitely. Um, my way of doing that in stand-up of getting rid of creative blocks was just stop writing at home and to just start just doing it on stage all the time and making notes afterwards and just putting myself in that position. Um, with other stuff that's just kind of, yeah, just written down, um, 
Yeah, that's a good point. What is what's the scriptwriter's equivalent of yeah. getting out and do a gig? That must well, be very hard. It is that thing of like having someone to send it to. Have, yeah, that kind of like giving yourself a thing with someone if it's your agent or if you haven't got an agent, if it's a friend and and who's maybe also a writer, and maybe you have a thing where you go right by this date we're both sending each other our drafts, mm-hmm. and kind of having that. Uh, that thing of like you know not wanting to be the one who hasn't done their work and uh, and having that thing to aim for. I think I'm sure good. I saw someone on Facebook say, "Can I send one of you 500 quid and you only give it back to me if I deliver a draft That's by this funny. date?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember who that was. Yeah, I think it's just. <laughs> Also, working in uh, a place where a lot of people are working. Like, yeah. if I'm at home, then, uh, you know, oh, I can just get lost on, you know, whatever, distract myself, YouTube. But, like, if I go to my agent's offices, you know, everyone who's doing work around me is going to be looking over going, one of our clients is currently looking at a YouTube video. <laughs> like, so you have to be working. So that, that, that helps. Teacher looking over your shoulder is always good. Last one, Lucy Gibson says, I'd be interested to know how much he feels he's in character when he's working. I think with his stand-up, he's clearly a character, but on podcasts, talk shows, panel shows, he seems to swing in and out of character, yet it works. It fascinates me because I don't know of any other comedian who seems to slip seamlessly in and out of their comedy persona like that. It's a very good question. That is a good question, actually. Um, and I answered that in character, and then, and then now I'm going back. <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah, they didn't deliberately do that, but just, there's certain words like actually I can't I can't say it normally. I, I, actually, um, oh, that's interesting. Certain words you go, oh, hang on, I'm being certain bits I'm where I, I realise that I'm doing a thing. Yeah, again. Okay, yeah, that is a good question actually, and stuff like that is like <laughs> then, then you slip back. Um, yeah, so. And I do think there's a lot of... And there, there are some things where I really noticed... I filmed something yesterday, and um, when I arrived, I felt like the crew and everyone was like, oh, this isn't what we expected. It's just kind of like, this is quite quiet and whatever. And then we started filming, and I was into like going like, oh, this is great, and all this. And they're like, oh, OK, here he is. Uh, where's, where's this come from? And so I do do it more consciously now. But there were, originally, I was like really adamant that I had to always be in character on those shows and never slip out of it and be your persona and always do that and stick to that. And then the more relaxed I got on panel shows and stuff, I would kind of... And the more that my friends were the pa- other panellists, because for a while I didn't know anyone on the panels. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, it would be like a bunch of mates, especially when I used to do Mot the Week, I'd be on with... Pretty much all of them would be my friends. I knew Dara really well by that point. So I'd be more relaxed and more able to just, like, joke maybe a bit more like I would with my mates or, like, a bit more in a normal kind of... And realising with certain jokes... You're not thinking about it consciously as it's happening, but just going, like, this is the best delivery. You know, delivering this like this is funnier uh, than if I deliver it in persona and I go completely that way. But then... You're kind of off, off menus like it a lot as well. On the podcast with Ed, I do a lot of. I really notice like when I shift in or out and go like, "Oh, you're you're kind of deliberately being stupider than you, than you are for this bit and uh, weirder." But now that you've started talking about a different subject that you're interested in for other reasons and you want to talk about properly you're just talking to them normally but maybe still finding jokes in there that are more how i would joke with ed normally in our free time <laughs> and then and then shifting back in again so i do get quite conscious of it and i used to be much more 
worried about it and that people would not know who I was as a comic uh, because I was one minute I could just be like, you know, um, this is how I thought about the time, that one minute I could be this like, you know, heightened stage persona, this weirdo, and then the next minute I'm just a normal bloke. Yeah. But then you kind of watch yourself and you go, I'm not really a normal bloke, so uh, I'm probably all right. Like, I'm not. I'm not like you know. I'm not suddenly becoming laddie or something like that. Like I am kind of still. Uh, the persona is rooted in who you are. It's, it's it's tied to bits of you and just it's just amplified and amped up. And so, you know, you're not gonna drift too far away from that. And trusting a bit more sometimes that um you know, this is the this trust your instinct you've got this persona you've worked on you know that guy he's there and you and he's as much of a part you know i know how to access that whenever i don't have to be as deliberate with it anymore it's more instinctive in the moment like any other joke you'd make with anybody you're going like oh this is the best thing for this one it's like go into that character or do that but um i i yeah i used to be worried about it it's, it's never jarred. I mean, I think it's a great question. There's a great answer. It's never jarring because it is. It's just like you don't even notice. It's weird. It's, yeah, it's such a strange thing to think about. But it is It is just like you just uh, approaching something from a different angle or just leaning into a bit of a, a bit of cadence of how you talk or something. I think it's, because of podcast, because of Josh's podcast, like Josh's podcast is actually a massive, like, part of like this show as well and stuff like that but like going on josh's podcast in whenever it was before i'd even done a debut edinburgh show mm. or maybe i had done i don't know but telling true stories on there and having to just be on there with you know josh and nish and Susie ruffle and your mates and telling them a true story which is something i would never would have done on stage at the time and they interrogate you and you have to in the moment justify why you did what you did and you can't really do that in persona and kind of going okay well this is like completely different to my stand-up but that's all right i I, i'm this other person and sometimes i get people at that point turn up to see me on my live tour shows and be like what is this i thought he's going to do scrapes and it'd be funny and it'd just be like you know a mess around story instead he's pretending to be in witness protection or whatever um but but yeah, you kind of access that part of you. Go, oh, I can be funny like this as well, and this is a something I can do. And like when I, I you know, that all got put into a book eventually. And after I'd filmed the Netflix shows, the next thing I had to do was do a book tour, and uh, which is during that is when I got dropped by my agent, yeah. and uh, and I was just going on stage every night reading true stories from this book, and it was such a nice change from having this. I, the first half of the year was intensely doing the Netflix shows, saying that I was this, that, and the other, recording the shows, and then just not wanting to do that anymore, and then going from that to reading out of a book true stories that have a completely different sense of humour to them, that aren't, you know, manufactured and uh, crafted in the same way. Yeah just meant that after that I was like I kind of want to do true stories again because you know I enjoyed that and that and that I'm not forcing a change of direction I naturally went on that tour anyway and did that book and just let that push you this way just so happened that you know after that book nothing else funny (laughs) I didn't have any other scrapes I just had these (laughs) these uh, unpleasant things that happened to me uh in that in that previous year but like um but yeah that kind of 
and I probably wouldn't have done this show either without that thing of going you don't have to be that guy all the time you don't have to go around like a meerkat and have all that and like speak in, in, in this rhythmical way and everything be choreographed and uh, you, you can do the Luther show where you don't really perform it the same every single night you can change the wording whenever you like you don't have to do that and you can change the delivery you don't have to always speak some some jokes work better when you speak like that but some don't but actually watching myself back and going like you're not a million miles from it still you're not suddenly this different comic who's going on you are naturally awkward you're naturally uh, anxious and overanalyze small things you know all those you know, sensitive, all those parts of you that were in that were in that persona, uh, they're still there, and they can still see them. You know, so like, and if you if you get obsessed with, you got to stay that guy. You can limit yourself. You know. So what you're saying is, what you were looking for was right there under your nose all along. Yeah, <laughs> I was always that guy. Thanks, man. Thank you very I'm always so inspired by kind of how meticulous his mind is. And, uh, you know, as well as it just being really fucking nice to see my friend in a room having had months and months and months of of pandemic in the meantime. So I really, really enjoyed that. Thank you once again to James for coming on. And remember, Cold Lasagna Hate Myself streams once and once only on the 17th of December at 8pm, wherever you are in the world. Isn't that cute? Um, And you can get access to it by going to dice.fm and looking. Or you can probably just search James Acaster Cold Lasagna, any variation of that. He is pretty much across the internet, but he isn't on social media, so don't try and follow him. I, however, am followable on social media, at ComComPod on Twitter and indeed Instagram, if you care to look there. My own personal account is at Stu Goldsmith, but what separates the two? I've got no idea. Um, So you can follow me there. You can email me info at comedianscomedian.com and you can get access to the RSS feed, the private insiders feed containing not only all of the extra content, but also uh, a a lovely 45 minutes. I think it might even be an hour of an insiders private Zoom Q&A with James himself. All of that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. That's the lot. Thank you to Nathan for editing the show. Thanks to Rob Smerton for the music. Uh, thank you to podcast consultant Pete Dobbing and logging expert, uh, word technician uh, Jake Crossland. Thank you all. Um, we've got two more in the can. We've got the fantastic Athena Kuglenu and the brilliant Nigel Ung returning after a bare, a bare few months. A bare few months. Bare few months. Um, returning after not very long indeed, after his uh, YouTube character Uncle Nigel went stratospherically hyper-viral and uh, took him from 20,000 to something like 3 million YouTube subscribers in the course of a mere few weeks. So that's coming up soon. And also, there's a fun Christmas special on the way too. So look out for that. That's it. That's that. Thanks, James. Thanks, all of you. I hope you enjoyed the show. 17th of December at 8 o'clock, wherever you are in the world. It's a genuinely... Brilliant show. Enjoy. Mm-hmm.